Navy SEALs, who were never called to testify in the war crimes trial of Chief Petty Officer Eddie Gallagher, are finally having their voices heard. Their interviews with criminal investigators are now available to stream online on the New York Times show The Weekly. These SEALs were granted immunity in the trial and provide more context as to why Gallagher's own platoon turned against him following the stabbing of an ISIS fighter in May of 2017. Months after its conclusion, and the acquittal of Gallagher on the most serious charges, the case remains a cause celeb for conservative media and for President Donald Trump. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. The Navy SEALs are probably the most elite commandos in the military. Why do you think you're here, first of all? What have you heard this is about? The prisoner issue? Okay. Reporting on the SEALs is extremely tough. So I'm gonna have you tell me everything you know first. Okay, um, I'll, I brought my notes just because- There's a culture of being a silent professional. You don't talk about what you do. I walked over there to check it out and then somebody told me, it's like, hey, grab your med bag. Did you actually see it happen? Yeah, I saw it happen. In the summer of 2019, we get leaked a trove of Navy materials that includes thousands of documents, helmet cam footage, photos, text messages, and all these confidential interviews with the SEALs. Stuff that no one has ever seen before. I kind of like heard more rumors and stuff like that of Eddie like targeting civilians. I saw Eddie take a shot at probably a 12-year-old kid. What was Eddie's, I know he's a chief, but what was his official position? I mean, he was the platoon chief. Okay. This massive leak gives us insight into a very secretive brotherhood of commandos that otherwise we would never get to see. The guy got crazier and crazier. Yeah, you can tell he was perfectly okay with killing anybody. I see Eddie laying over him with the knife. This is a case where some SEALs who are not supposed to take things outside the family turned in their own chief. The guy was toxic. We can't let this continue. It's up. You know, they're these guys who believe in doing good and had the courage to act. It's just that things didn't turn out how they thought. Civilians everywhere. We have a problem. He's a psychopath. Hey. Guys, freaking evil, man. And we just heard from Dave Phillips, a reporter from the New York Times, on the latest episode of The Weekly. And in studio, we have Andrew Dyer, who's been covering the Gallagher case since the beginning. This is the first time we've actually heard audio of these seals speak. What's been the initial reaction? The reaction has been robust. It's, you know, been a national story today. I think although we've known what these SEALs said for a long time, because um, many of them testified at trial, um, hearing it in their own words and from in their own voices, um, it has a different effect. And those of us who were in the courtroom when they testified, you know, we got to hear that, but... um, Something is lost in translation when you write a story um, and hearing it in their own words, it just it just it just has a different effect. Certainly. It's it's really, I suppose, more emotional when you hear the actual person who has experienced these things tell it, you know, as they were explaining this case and essentially bringing their commander to trial. Right. And um I'm sure you remember during the trial, um, we were doing these podcasts and, um, you know, 
I, I can only do so much. You know, mm-hmm. I would come on and, and tell you what had happened in court as I'm listening to this testimony. Um, but a- absolutely, whenever you hear it in their own words and with their voices, um, it, it carries a different weight. Mm-hmm. So this uh, show has only been up for a little while, although it has become national news since this morning. So what are you hearing from people who have been following this case from the beginning? Because the Gallagher case has been a national flashpoint for the greater part of 2019. Um, well, the discourse um, has been the same as it's been since you know, Donald Trump got involved in the case, the president. Um, once he started intervening in the case, threatening to intervene, um, it became much more politicized. And um, we've talked about this before where um, people's opinions about the case seem to be more in alliance with their uh, political affiliations than with maybe a more uh, neutral reading of, of what's transpired here. So um, as you might expect, uh, today's news has had the same same effect. Mm-hmm. And one also thing is that when you have stories that are so large and have episodes and episodes, I think we've done almost 15 episodes of this own podcast on this story, you can kind of lose the forest for the trees. So... Are you seeing kind of a reshift into the broader narrative of what's happened? Or do you think we're still kind of losing out in the key details just because it is so complicated, it's hard to kind of wrap this story in a nice little, you know, candy wrapper? Well, what I think it's done is it's it's recentered the SEALs who testified and, and turned in Gallagher. Mm-hmm. Um, what this episode of, of The Weekly does is it's really told from their perspective. So... This entire time, Gallagher, his his team, his supporters, you know, they've had free reign to to drive this conversation. Um, they don't have the same limits that Navy officials have, that the prosecutors had, and these witnesses had. Um, you know, these SEALs, many of them are still Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. They are still um, working with SEAL teams. They're instructors at BUDS here at Coronado, um, some at least one is on the East Coast on another team. Um, So they're trying to get back to business, get back to their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're not out there talking about this, really. So seeing their accounts in this this show and and hearing the audio, hearing what they have to say, it really kind of puts the ball back in their court. which I think is why you've you've seen this kind of effect today. And when you've been covering this story, have you had any luck trying to speak to those who, uh, you know, first brought these charges up and kind of caused this whole controversy to happen? Because it does seem like the conversation was dominated by Gallagher and his supporters. So, yeah, I've I've been in infrequent contact with uh, a few of these witnesses um, since well before the trial. Um, every time I've texted with them, you know, they have not wanted to comment for a story. Um, they've always been very nervous about talking to the media because mm-hmm. at first they didn't want to damage the case. They were very worried about if they said something to a reporter that it would affect the trial. Um, and then afterwards they've wanted to kind of get back to their lives and, um, not draw more attention on themselves. 
So um, on on Tuesday, I did get on the phone with uh, one of the witnesses um, who, again, asked that I not use his name in my story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Gallagher's through social media have uh, kind of, even after after the trial, have continued to kind of vilify this group of SEALs as, you know, uh, cowards or people who've, uh, who uh, couldn't handle the tough combat conditions in Iraq and couldn't handle uh, Gallagher's tough leadership. Um, even in a written statement that Gallagher sent to us, um, some, uh, the same statement he sent to the New York Times, um, he again calls them cowards. Um, so the individual I spoke with, you know, he said he's still fearful mm-hmm. um, for his life. You know, there's people out there with, you know, maybe with bad ideas. Um, but, you know, he, he said, you know, this, you know, it's if if politicians are getting involved, it's not military justice anymore. It, it becomes political. And um, these things that Gallagher was accused of doing, you know, he, he said, you know, that that shouldn't be a political issue. That it's, mm-hmm. That's right and wrong, not not left or right. Yeah, that's one thing that's it seemed to happen as soon as Trump stepped in the focus kind of went away from the actual actions in Iraq to the politics of do you support our troops or not in that kind of vague kind of arguably hero worship way that it was kind of spoken about right and and you know to just uh Gallagher's defense team and his lawyer you know I did I talked to his lawyer as well for for this story you know they will say that you know, these statements came from way before the trial. You know, this is why they had a trial. Mm-hmm. A jury heard the accounts of these seals and they acquitted Gallagher on these charges. So from their perspective, um, this is old news or it is no longer relevant because a jury rejected these these accounts. Mm-hmm. And also one thing that I thought the news show did really well was how it explained the actual stabbing of the ISIS fighter. We actually have another clip from the show. Everyone that I've talked to in the platoon said that things were pretty normal on May 6th, 2017. That morning they used signals equipment to figure out that ISIS had some sort of small command post in a farmhouse. They call in air support and a helicopter sends a missile down into this, this house. They hit it directly, killing several ISIS members. In fact, there was only one who survived, and within minutes, the Iraqi forces on the ground captured this guy. He was still alive and conscious, and they were going to bring him in. And ISIS fighter sort of conjures up an image of a, a big bad guy, but this guy's a pretty pathetic sight. He's clearly a teenager so skinny that that the watch he's wearing when they pick him up slides all the way up to his shoulder. And when I watched this, uh, this was actually the first time I saw the photo of the fighter. And frankly, I I was surprised. What was your reaction in court when you saw some of these images? In court, um, this video was showed uh, a few times, a few different times, depending on the witness um, who was testifying. And, um, you know, we got a real good look. We saw a lot of this um, deceased fighter um when they brought him in um you know he his he's so skinny his his watch rides all the way up his arm um we saw uh medical forensics experts um examining 
very close up the the body and the medical uh, equipment around him. You know, these seals were performing different procedures on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw the helmet cam video, which is also released in this episode um, of uh, the fighter's arrival. And um, when Gallagher begins assessing his condition, at one point Gallagher leans on the fighter's injured leg and, and the, the man sits up and responds, kind of yells out in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, he's much more subdued experts uh, and the witnesses testified he was suffering from a condition known as blast lungs so basically his lungs were like kind of collapsing and that's why mm-hmm. they had um put in the chest tubes and, and that sort of thing but um yeah it was it was um it, it wasn't a, a pretty sight and um mm-hmm. you know after the the fighter was deceased there were other videos of some of the seals operating a small drone in the vicinity of the body and bouncing the drone off of the body. So, um, it, it, it's rough stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we actually in in the episode there are multiple seals, kind of recounting that moment and just saying this was kind of the flashpoint in which they argued Gallagher had gone too far in, as they put it a kind of a quest for glory because he was like joking about getting a purple heart. Yeah. And, um, you know, witnesses testified that that night, um, they had a, a meeting with, with some of the, um, the E sixes, the first class petty officers in the, in the platoon mm-hmm. talk about what they were going to do to kind of rein in, uh, chief Gallagher. Mm-hmm. And can you give us a recap of the strategy of the rest of his platoon to finally, uh, you know, cause this trial to happen how did they go from that meeting to an actual plan of here's how we need to tell the powers that be about what happened so yeah it was a long process um while they were deployed to iraq uh you know we heard accounts from these guys that they had tampered with gallagher's rifle to make it less accurate um that they would take warning shots at at iraqi civilians um now on cross-examination um, the defense really hammered on this. I think they, their contention was that there weren't really as many warning shots, and a couple of witnesses um, testified differently. Um, but once they got back to San Diego, um, they kind of had a, a WhatsApp chat group called the Sewing Circle mm-hmm. uh, where they talked about what had happened um, and what they needed to do about it. Uh, initially, they did not want... Uh, they didn't think Gallagher should be arrested or put in jail. They just thought he shouldn't be leading SEALs in combat anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, when Gallagher was going to be assigned as an, an instructor, they really were like, we can't have Gallagher uh, leading and teaching new SEALs. Um, and so that started a, a kind of a chain reaction of escalation from um, these witnesses, chiefly uh, uh Chief uh, Craig Miller, who um, brought it to the uh, Master Chief and eventually brought it to the uh, uh, the troop commander. Mm-hmm. And within the the SEALs, what is the kind of teaching and like focus as to how one is supposed to act during war? Because for civilians, this is probably the least thing on their minds, but they do go through training as to here's how to do your job, right? Right. They're, they're trained killers. The, um, the, make no mistake about it. Mm-hmm. These men are trained and they deploy 
uh, to bring the fight to uh, the the enemy and um, it's a you know this you know what we heard in the episode you know Gallagher looked at Mosul like a golden egg Mm -hmm. because you could get as much combat as you as you wanted Um, so this was a very uh, an environment where there were in combat a lot they were um, really you know trying to draw ISIS out of Mosul Mm -hmm. um, so that you know they could engage them mm-hmm. and um but everybody uh, w- deploying to a combat zone is is briefed on the rules of engagement um the rules of engagement for Mosul in 2017 are classified i have tried uh mm-hmm. several times in different ways to to find out what the rules of engagement were um one point in the trial um a uh an NCIS official uh, walked into the courtroom with a briefcase handcuffed to his arm, and inside this briefcase were the rules of engagement, and uh, it was handed out to the jury. They were allowed to see it, passed it back to him, back in the briefcase, and, and out of the courtroom he went. Mm-hmm. Um, so the jury did see the rules of engagement. We did not, um, but there was some kind of chatter that uh, perhaps there was a looser... Uh, engagement uh, policy uh, in Mosul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because clearly these people are trained killers, as you said, but at the same time, you don't want to have you know, someone who's gone too far towards that, that side to which they can't be controlled or listen within a conflict because there needs to be a focus and a degree of restraint to do your job correctly even if your job is to defeat the enemy, you know? Right, and this is a big philosophical debate um, whenever it comes to the stories because you have people like uh, Congressman Duncan Hunter who who really think that we should take the gloves off and that it doesn't matter how an enemy fighter dies. If they die, they're dead. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's a, 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 a missile strike or, um, you know, if it's mm-hmm. an extrajudicial killing. Um uh, but and, and there are a lot of people who agree with that. Mm-hmm. However, um, that is a, against um, the like the doctrine of our entire foreign policy mm-hmm. and and the military. You know, uh, we do follow the law of armed conflict, the Geneva Conventions. Uh, these are uh, things that are in place um, not just to uh, dictate our uh, conduct. In a in a conflict, but also to protect our service members, um, if and when they are captured by the enemy, mm-hmm. um, we we don't want our folks uh, under you know getting tortured or, or, or killed extrajudiciously overseas. Nor do we want um, somebody being arrested uh, at an airport in Europe and taken to the Hague for mm-hmm. for crimes because. Uh, maybe our allies don't think that they're going to be held accountable here. So this show also includes voices that we haven't heard before from SEALs that didn't testify. Can you explain that importance? Yeah. So um, we knew going into the trial, you know, who was going to testify to what, you know, that, that was stuff that I was able to, to put together. I went to so many hearings before the trial. Like I kind of knew who was where and who saw what Um, there were two SEALs, uh, Petty Officer First Class Joseph Arrington, 
who was a with the snipers who was a, allegedly a witness to these alleged shootings, and another SEAL, Penny Officer Second Class Ivan Villanueva. Uh, Villanueva um, had a front row seat to the allegation of murder. He was there next to the fighter by his head mm-hmm. um, as Gallagher was behind the head. Uh, Villanueva was right there the the whole time. And Villanueva told NCIS that he saw Gallagher stab the fighter. Um, after uh, another witness, Corey Scott, testified and, and prosecutors say he changed his testimony, um, it, it, it seemed to sh- shift our strategy a little bit. And Villanueva was not called to testify at trial, nor was Arrington. And um, I've asked the prosecutors, I've asked the Navy, why didn't you call witnesses who said they saw these things? Why did the jury never hear from them? Mm-hmm. And that is something the Navy to this day has not explained. And then suddenly there was this testimony, which completely changed the entire course of the trial. Corey Scott changed his story on the stand. What Corey Scott had told investigators multiple times beforehand is, he said he's stabbing. One time, multiple times. It was probably two or three times. Okay. Just like a stab about right here, just in a few times. Is there any possible way that what he was doing could be interpreted as for medical purposes to help this guy? No. There's no way this was anything other than to attack and to kill this, this person? No. Okay. What did you do next? I stayed at the scene until the... ISIS fighter asphyxiated. The prosecutor sits down without having gotten any of the testimony he expected, and very quickly the defense attorney stands up and starts asking, You didn't say that Chief Gallagher suffocated him, did you? No. Well, if Eddie Gallagher didn't kill that guy, who did? Craig Miller suffocated him? No. Did you suffocate him? Yes. <laughs> How? I held my thumb over his ET tube until he stopped breathing. And there is just this heavy silence. No further questions. Because all of a sudden, you can't get this guy for murder because someone else has just admitted to the killing. So, Andrew, you were actually sitting right next to Dave Phillips when this happened. What was the reaction in court the moment that Corey Scott said that he was the one that killed the fighter under complete immunity? Uh, it, the testimony washed over, uh, me in like a wave. Um, did I just hear that? I, I I just heard that. What does that mean? Um, does that mean that Gallagher did not do this? Did that mean that they both did it? Um, did that sink the entire trial? It's a stunning moment. And, um, uh, I think that the prosecutors were not expecting that. They immediately objected and got up and, and called Corey Scott a liar. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, I, I talked to the uh, the defense attorney uh, you hear in the clip, Tim Parlatori, I talked to him uh, yesterday, and he said that he, when he did his earlier interview of Corey Scott, um, so Corey Scott has his own lawyer as well. You mm-hmm. know, Corey Scott has granted immunity for his testimony. Um, Corey Scott's lawyer, uh, a, a man named Brian Ferguson, is in the room with Tim Parlatori as Parlatori is 
is interviewing Scott. At some point in this interview, uh, Scott says that the fighter suffocated. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Parlatori probed him, and this is what Parlatori told me, yeah. uh, Ferguson steps in and says, this interview is done. Mm-hmm. You can't go any further until we get this immunity question resolved. There was some, uh, you know, obviously Ferguson's job is to protect his client from mm-hmm. incriminating himself. And so he's trying to prevent, uh, make sure that he's got full uh, immunity um, before they went any further. So Parlatori says that's when he knew that there was something else out there. And then in the courtroom, it's actually the prosecutors who are questioning Scott um, when he again says some, he says asphyxiation mm-hmm. and the prosecutors don't follow up on that question. And when it goes over to cross, that's when Parlatori gets up and starts asking about the asphyxiation and the suffocation. And um, after they get the judge to clarify that Scott cannot be prosecuted for what he's going to say, um, you know, Parlatori asks him the question and Scott says that he he suffocated the, the fighter. Mm-hmm. And after all that and everything was a complete shock, uh, the jury deliberated and then finally... Well, yeah, they, um, you know, that was, I think that occurred the first week of trial. We had a whole other uh, week uh, to go after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some, uh, you know, it wasn't exa- immediately clear. And, and if you remember um, when we were doing the series of podcasts during the trial, um, prosecutors tried to make the point that even if uh, Scott suffocated the fighter, Scott also testified that Gallagher stabbed the fighter in the mm-hmm. neck uh, at least two, uh, in, on the stand. He said one time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for murder, it doesn't have to be, you know, I shot you, but then somebody else stabbed you. Therefore, I am not guilty of murder. I, mm-hmm. I still shot the person. So yeah. um, the prosecutors tried to argue that to the jury that even if Scott suffocated the fighter, that Gallagher had stabbed him. It, it, it was it was still a crime. Um, but, you know, I'm not in the jury's heads. I wasn't in the deliberation room. And they acquitted Gallagher of, of murder. Mm-hmm. And after this, it immediately went from mildly political to extremely political when President Donald Trump uh, started to get involved. So what was the first kind of push that Trump had because there was rumors circling that he was going to pardon him and that that didn't happen. Well, you know, Trump was exposed to this case very early on. Um, you know, I wrote a story uh, a few weeks ago um, about the, the Fox News campaign um, to, to, to get to Trump, um, you know, beginning in January, right after Gallagher's arraignment, mm-hmm. his brother, his wife, um, other supporters... Uh, began talking about the case on Fox and Friends very frequently, um, which we we know that Trump watches Fox and Friends. It's, mm-hmm. uh, and um, so by uh, by the end of March, um, their message was finally heard. Well, it was acted upon when Trump let Gallagher out of the brig. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these appearances on Fox and Friends continued um, up to the trial um, by both uh, Gallagher's brother, wife, attorneys, other surrogates. Um, 
And then uh, once Gallagher was acquitted, the next day um, he gave a an exclusive interview to, to Fox and Friends with his, his wife and his lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Trump tweeted congratulations um, later as uh, as the uh, case was finalized. You know there was he was found guilty of yeah. posing with the uh, the body of the fighter for a photo, and for that the jury reduced him in rank. Mm-hmm. Um, that reduction in rank was upheld by the Navy and um, Trump soon after stepped in and said, you know what, uh, this guy's a hero. This guy's uh, an American warfighter, you know, paid to do a horrible job and we're going to take care of him. Restored his rank. After he restored his rank, the Navy moved to kick him out of the SEALs. Mm-hmm. And Trump again stepped in and said, you're not going to kick him out of the SEALs. Um, this caused a big stir at the top of the Defense Department with the uh, Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of the Navy. Um, and uh, two days later, the Secretary of the Navy was fired. Mm-hmm. So after all of that and uh, truly unprecedented actions by the president, what is the mood within not only the Navy but all branches of the military knowing that if something like this were to happen again, the playbook is still there? There's a means to kind of avoid what some would argue is justice simply by getting the president's ear. This is what, um, you know, the New York Times and, and I think Eddie's own family has has dubbed this the Gallagher effect, right? Mm-hmm. Because the fear in military circles is that it sends a message that if you're deployed, if you're in combat, uh, President Donald Trump has your back. Mm-hmm. If you... Uh, do things outside of the rules of engagement, outside the law of armed conflict, the president has your back, just like he had at his back. And um, so the fear is that this could embolden uh, some service members to um, potentially commit atrocities overseas. Now, I did speak with a, a high-ranking official in San Diego who who was dismissive of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, one would hope that our service members you know, take the uniform code of justice and, you know, the rules of engagement and follow them. You want people in a war to follow rules. Right. And the vast majority of them absolutely do. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's now uh, um, a roadmap to if you are accused or charged with a crime, there's a playbook you can now go to and a an eager and receptive audience for you to, to make your case to mm-hmm. outside of the a court of law. And now, I suppose, culturally, I know we've spoken about a variety of military issues, and it seems like within the ranks, there's a little bit of, well, unless Trump follows the rules and does X, Y, Z, we're not counting the tweets, we're not counting things he may say, like at a stump speech, as orders. But is there fear that there's enough of kind of troops can do no wrong? They're American heroes. If anyone dares to criticize anyone in the military, they're wrong. Is there a fear within the the military that that sentiment is reaching a dangerous level? You know, it's tough to say. I I don't think so. Um, One thing about people in the military is that they're they're regular people 
Um, they've got extremely difficult jobs. They work very long hours. They go on deployments without their families. Um, you know, they're 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 in line with you at Vons. They're they're outside uh, in downtown San Diego, outside of our building right now, going about their days. Um, and that is the absolute vast majority of military members are um, they're just regular citizens. They're mm-hmm. neighbors. They're a big part of this community, and um, I I don't think that they're um, that this is um, affecting them in the way that uh, you and I might imagine it does, mm-hmm. um, because the the military is such a blue collar ethos, and mm-hmm. there's a real sense of like you put your head down, you get your job done, you go home at night, and um, that's the way ninety nine point nine percent of our military conducts themselves. They they like to think of themselves as unfazed by politics and unfazed by by media hubbub mm-hmm. and um, just want to do their jobs and, and go home at the end of the day. So um, I, I, I don't know how much this um, this they might let this affect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember you mentioning throughout our many episodes on the subject of just kind of I suppose a frustration with with the whole politics of this story because it's kind of the last thing the military wants to have on its plate. Right. Um, you know, they've got a job to do every day. Um, they've got their own deadlines, their own mission. Everybody's got their role to play. And, um, you know, they have a, a routine. And, you know, that's kind of b- baked into the military is the, you know, from day one of boot camp, you, you fall into a routine. And these routines are what help our soldiers, sailors, and airmen do these extremely, uh, th- these things that we ask them to do is because... Um, that routine gives you a, a sense of grounding. And um, even when there's a big political firestorm and the Secretary of the Navy is getting fired and President Trump is is on Twitter, um, you know, th- they're never falling out of, of that routine. Um, it, it's baked into the, the military. Mm-hmm. All right. Andrew Dyer, thank you so much. Thank you. And this episode of The Weekly is live on Hulu and will be on FX this Sunday. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. Our creative director is Beto Alvarez, and our digital editor is Ricky Young. This podcast comes together with support from our creative studio and reporters throughout the newsroom. Please rate us and review us on your favorite podcast app and support our journalism by signing up for our print and digital products at uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.